Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome back to the Flow Track Podcast, Flow Track Podcast at gmail.com. Hope everybody is staying safe and having a great holiday season. I'm Kevin, joined by Lincoln. We're doing another year in review, but with this one, Lincoln, we're going a little broader. We're going a little more Time Magazine with the topic. Yeah, most influential. I think it's an important subject to cover because um, I, I find this hard to, to avoid a joke, but the sport of track and field is changing, be it techno- technologically, um, be it, you know, rules. Christian Coleman knows that pretty well. Uh you know, be, you know, in the Olympic rules, in the Olympic movement rules, just in day to day, the way uh, athletes are monitored with the whereabouts system. And then obviously with technology, um, with shoes and, and then the, the, the wave light technology. So the sport's always changing. Every sport's always changing, but it really feels like in 2020 track and field had even in a, in a down year where the Olympics were postponed, there was a lot that happened on the track mm-hmm. and off of it. And, and, um, and so we'll, we'll kind of cover the the most important people in, in in all of that in this podcast yeah and the goal again i guess you could say if you tried to tell the story of 2020 you could do it through these these people and i tried to keep it to people not like whole groups and whole teams although i did have some some additions in there late some more so than others but that was the goal we're not going to go in any particular order we're not going to rank them and say this person was the most influential and this person was the least most influential or anything like that. Okay. They're all, they're all important. Let's just say they're all important. Uh, if we're talking about least influential, we want to do a list. We go Gordon one and then we'd probably end it there uh, with Gordon, <laughs> I think. So we'll go to m- more influential here. I'm going to throw some, I'll just go and I'll throw them to you and you, you tell me what you think. Does that sound good? Yeah. Yeah. So what you want me to pick the first athlete? Is that what you're saying? No, I'll just I'll just go down the list. I jot down oh. the list. I started with Seb Coe. Yeah. Seb Coe. Oh. What do you think? Yeah. The head of World Athletics, first year as as full year of as World Athletics. Um, I you know, I think it was a pretty successful first first campaign. Still keeping Russia, I guess, at bay. Um, they they backtrack on the rules on the uh, the restrictions on the shoes. They backtrack on for 2021 the uh, the exclusion of the the 5k steeple 200 and uh whatever i I forget whatever field event there was so mm-hmm. triple triple jump was also excluded and then it was added maybe, back in yeah yeah if anything you know sebastian co continues to be flexible as the head of track and field 
um, which is is good to see. I, I think you know he avoids controversy pretty well. I, I would say, and the sport is moving forward, and it's not as drug tarnished as it was in previous eras. Obviously, it's tough to be more tarnished than it was with uh, the, with Mr. Diak, who has you know been prosecuted for taking bribes. Not a high bar to, to clear for for Sebastian Coe, but I think he's been all in all a, a very good uh, head of world athletics, and um, you know he's a very powerful person in the sport. Yeah, I think he's always going to be on this list because he's running the show, basically. Yeah. And this year, you talked about all the the issues with the Diamond League schedule, with the shoe regulations, obviously. The Russia situation is still in flux. We saw that their ban got reduced, although that was not his decision to do that. No. That was above his pay grade there even. Also, just the decision on how to run the meets and if there'd be a schedule. And, of course, the idea that there would be a moratorium on when people could get uh, qualifying times. Obviously, had a huge influence on the season, too, even if you want to get into the nitty-gritty because that made – um, some meets go away, some meets come back. Obviously, anybody who's a commissioner or the head of any sports entity in 2020 had a lot of trouble just merely getting a a sport out there. So obviously this year he was incredibly important. And one of those races that went off was that Monaco Diamond League meet. And then subsequent to that, the Valencia time trial. So that brings me to my next two people. Tell me what you think about these people. Latensa Pet Gaudet and Joshua Cheptegei. Yeah, both world record breakers in, in 2020. I mean, Cheptegei in a category of itself because he took down two Bekele records. Uh, you look at both of those athletes, though, Cheptegei and, and Gaudet, they leave us talking about we'll, – we'll just continue to make solid transitions, but they leave us talking about the merits of wavelight technology, of you know the, the new spikes that – people are deciding to be up in arms about it's it's a really they're they're bringing in the new era of distance running there already was i guess you could say kipchoge kind of brought in the new era by you know running two hours and then breaking two hours you know showing what shoe technology can do but these athletes now breaking records on the track it's discussing the new eras of of distance running how the time you know what is fast has been recalibrated after kind of this period you know, for both the men and the women in the 5K, where we went over a, d a decade without breaking a world record, and then all of a sudden, both of them are smashed, and then we're kind of forced to think, wait a second, what has happened? Do we blame it on the shoes? Do we blame it on the technology? And these athletes are the ones who are who are doing it, and they're kind of left in the middle. So regardless of what you think uh, of these athletes, they're fantastic runners, and they will, I think, always be synonymous with this new era of wave light and and shoe technology mm -hmm. yeah and they intersected with both those both those big issues even if they broke the world records and there was no controversy that was attached to it we'd still include them on the list because when you take names like dababa and bikaley off the all-time list you're gonna have to yeah. you're gonna have to be among the most important people of the year but you're absolutely right it made me think though lincoln can there be a world record set anymore where there's not some sort of controversy attached to it. It doesn't seem like that's the case in distance running, but it yeah, brings me to another person. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Well, or this next person that I'm going to bring up who single-handedly carried several meets this year by himself, yeah. and that's Carson Warholm. And I think if Carson Warholm 
just ran a couple ticks faster and got that world record or when he does get that world record next year, there's not going to be those questions that are attached to it. I think people will just be able to singularly look at the performance and the athlete, or even if Rye Benjamin is the one to break it or Abdurrahman Samba, whoever breaks that mark, that one seems separate from all the other issues that are going on in the sport. At least that's the way I feel about it when I look at that record and look at that, those guys competing in that event. Yeah, there is a certain, you know, his, you're right. I hadn't thought of it that way, but everything seems, there is no side story. It's just, it was just Carson Warholm pursuing this record and being able to do it without competition was, was fantastic. And, and, you know, just his greatness seemingly getting even greater every, every race and his fearlessness. Um, it was, it almost felt old school, I guess, somehow in comparison to what was going on in the distance events through no fault of the distance runners through no, no fault of, of his, this is just, uh, you know, he's benefiting from technology that Edwin Moses didn't have that, that Kevin Young didn't have, but for some, some reason that wasn't a discussion about this. This was more of a, a guy overcoming the odds of a kind of a, a strange season and carrying the sport at the same time, just in the sense of, you know, otherwise it would have been fun to have track and field back, but you know, not only his willingness to chase records, but his willingness to be like, I'm going to try for the world record twice this week. And you know, Mm -hmm. I'm going to, Oh, there's no 400 hurdles at this meet. Now there's going to be a 400 hurdles at this meet, you know, he's just going for it. And as we had him on the podcast, I think that was a really key moment just for him to be like, you know, well, how, how, how many years does a top track and field athlete have 10? So you're telling me I need to waste one year and waste 10% of my career. And that, you know, even though that's obvious, that's, well, I hadn't really thought, put that together. He's, you know, it's absolutely right. Like, why would you waste 10% of your career um, simply because there's no Olympics or world championships, you know, in, in, in a season and, and gl- good for him. I'm glad that there are people like him in the sport, not saying everyone needed to compete. And he was at, in an advantage being in a country that wasn't as hard hit as others, but he's just somebody that you cherish having in track and field. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. I'm just going to keep going. We'll run down the list. Yeah. I have nothing else to say about Warholm. I've said everything in 2020 mm-hmm. that I have to say. I need the, I need the clock to strike midnight on <laughs> December 31st into January 1st so I can say new things about Warholm. Warholm. I'll just go down the list here. Uh, another person, I interviewed this person. I don't think he, he wasn't on the show. I interviewed him on a one-off, but Brett Clothier, mm-hmm. the head of the Athletics Integrity Unit, Lincoln. Yeah, I mean, it's gotten to the point where everyone's getting whereabouts. They were knocking at my door the other day for for me to test, uh, <laughs> just because I'm so no. The whereabouts thing has just obviously exploded this year. With not not that they they maybe are testing more. I mean, maybe they are, but it just the amount of people that were sanctioned this year for whereabouts things. It, we know it's an increased focus uh, for World Athletics, particularly in a year where you could kind of disappear, considering that there weren't many competitions. But to have high-profile cases with Christian Coleman results in him, in all likelihood, not competing at the Olympics. To have a high-profile case with Salwa Eden Nasser, that was kind of bizarre, but, you know, it, it caused a commotion in the sport. And then you have Elijah Manigoy. I mean, the list goes on and on of these big-profile athletes that's, that highlights this problem that, you know, athletes are not holding themselves accountable for being where they say they are or for, you know, being ready to be tested and uh, – you know, I, whether that's good that these athletes are kind of being sanctioned without 100% proof that they are dirty is is maybe a different argument. But there's no doubt the the AIU, the Athletics Integrity Unit, is an in, as a 
as a body is an in, influential individual, I guess, if, if you want to call him that in the sport, because, you know, we're not going to have the hundred meter world, world champion, the, the fastest man in the world right now at the Olympics. And it's because he couldn't keep his, you know, he, he didn't respect the, the whereabouts system. He, he didn't think he, he didn't think he deserved, he, he needed to concern himself with being where he said he, he was going to be being on time. Uh, and it, it, things are changing. Sorry if I broke up the way things are changing in the sport and that everyone, you know, mm-hmm. that's a cautionary tale that everyone needs to follow that you have to take this whereabouts thing. Seriously, you have to be there during your window. And, and, I think hopefully every athlete that's not those who have been sanctioned now knows, um, oh, I can't mess around with this because my I could mm-hmm. I could lose the Olympic Games at the peak of my career. Um, you know, it's funny we were, I, I don't want to waste too much time, but we were talking to Grant Holloway short, shortly after it was announced that uh, Coleman was had been sanctioned. This was before his suspension suspension came levied down. But Grant Holloway was saying, yeah, you know, sometimes I I'm lazy with my whereabouts thing. I bet he's not anymore now that Christian Coleman is is likely mm-hmm. to miss the the most important olympics of his entire career uh so i hopefully the sport as a whole has gotten smarter with this and knows that they they can't mess around yeah and we've seen some misfires here too uh, you know gabby thomas successfully yes. appealed her situation but one thing that you brought up after i think you wrote an article about it was just how many people when the suspension and the news came out uh, about coleman initially was the people who were critical of him and yeah i don't want to say siding with aiu but siding with the rules and trayvon bromel was very vocal and christian taylor was very vocal about it and it seems like they're winning the i don't know if you want to call it the the public relations battle or yeah with or even with with the athletes and i don't know if there's more stuff going on behind the scenes obviously certainly they've they've had some 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 issues and with the Salwe Nasser thing and then Shawnee Miller Weibo pushing back, I don't know if that lost them some goodwill amongst the athlete community. Um, it's tough to tell here. And the AIU obviously is one body, and there's all- at play here that are involved in these decisions. Um, that it's tough to just like pin it on one one entity, one person. But I mean, you're right. When you talk about the impact of the Nasser case and the Coleman case, that's massive moving forward. Like we're going to be mm. talking about that. We're going to be talking about that from a competitive standpoint for a decade because it's influenced Christian Coleman's career, who's the fastest man in the world. And we're going to be talking about it as a policy um, until they decide to do something else, right? I mean, that that just seems like it's it's going to be something that's going to keep coming up over and over again, unless people, uh, you know, change change their habits here. Yeah, and, and you know, I think the biggest the, the interesting thing was, yeah, they did have the the missteps. You highlighted the Gabby Thomas case, but the athletes as a whole seem to, for the for the for the most part, respect that that you know the aggressiveness that the AIU is in coming I mean obviously they don't just do whereabouts cases they do plain and simple doping matters as well but but you know this whereabouts thing uh, people are tend to respect and are you know I, I even when there is a misstep I don't think anyone's saying oh the AIU is just trying to get athletes at every turn no they're just they're just trying to get athletes to be to be accountable and I um you know we we now know what happens when they're not you know you can lose your big parts of your career so Absolutely influential. Mm-hmm. 
Next up, you ready for the next one? Mm, I hope so. <laughs> uh, Elfried Kears. Elfried Kears. Well, Lincoln, he's the owner of Sport Technology, which is the company that brought you Wavelight Technology. Elfried mm. Kears. Uh, Elfred, I mean, give Elfried, uh, give him, you know, he's the, is he now the most famous Elfried in the world? Is, is he, has he surpassed Alfred Payton, uh, former NBA player? I don't know, <laughs> but certainly he's the most 21st century Elfried probably out there. Yeah. I mean, I, the wave of technologies, you know, it's, I'm very interested to see how, how much, how much bigger of their presence will be in, in this next year is it going to be at every diamond league meet in the distance races you know mm -hmm. are they going to drum it up for i don't know why not just test it out more why not if if in, as, long, mm -hmm. as long as the athletes don't say no why not just i don't know in the eight let's dial this up to one one forty ninety one and just see it and maybe it'll make some races feel like failures when they shouldn't be but it's <laughs> it does I, I, I'm of two opinions because it makes it, I think, it more interesting to watch. But I do also think it makes it easier for the athletes to break records. And whether that's a good thing or a bad thing is is to be determined. Um, but I understand the controversy surrounding it because I do think I agree with Helen O'Beary. We're, we're kindred spirits a little bit. Um, not to the level that she is. I don't think it's like a doping mechanism. But, you know, uh it, it does help at distance athletes in their in their pacing and pursuit of records, and I can understand why some people are upset on it. Um, but it certainly changed the fan experience, which is I think a positive thing. And uh, although many, many people have not heard of Elfried, like myself until just now, can't deny that this is just the start. We're going to start to see I think a ton more of this as as World Athletics. We know that the thing is how can we make track even if it's a Shoot, that's bound to go nowhere. They're trying to make it more watchable for people that aren't just invested 365, uh, 24-7. And perhaps the the lights help with that in some regard as a way to kind of keep score with history. Um, because yeah. those, you know, if we watch intently, you know, oh, like what you need to come through in 600 to be on pace for the 800 world record. But the, a layman doesn't. So they see it with the lights. Oh, that's that's suddenly much more interesting. So it doesn't yeah. mean people are going to be breaking more world records, but the wave light technology changes the understanding for for a lot of people of what track and field is all about. I mean, you you see it already. You don't you don't get it for the athletes, but in swimming, you know, they put the bar out there while you're mm -hmm. watching on TV. Obviously, there's not an actual thing for the the swimmers. At least I don't think so. But when you watch the mm -hmm. Olympics in swimming, you see okay, they're ahead of the 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 little the um the virtual bar that you see. And so you know that they're ahead or behind of world record pace. So that's what it does for the fans. We can argue the merits of what it does for, for the athletes, but, um, but certainly I think this is going to have a bigger presence going forward. Yeah. And we saw it in some minor meets in terms of meets where there weren't world records at stake of, Oh, yeah. this is the meet record line, or this is the European record, or we're going to have two different lines in here. I think it brought up that interesting tension between the, benefits to spectators versus the status quo and the consistency in the sport. And I think it did so more than shoes did because listen, shoes make you go faster. You know, these super shoes, you can argue right. about how much faster, but they don't change my feeling of watching the race. 
the time at the end might be faster by a little bit, but I'm not sitting there watching and understanding what I'm seeing and getting more excited along the way because of shoes. Um, you know, again, it leads to a faster time, which if you're going to say, well, world records are interesting and, and American records are interesting and these shoes are helping them get there. But it, this is different. This helps you, like this is a visual aid the entire way for people in the stadium and obviously for people at home who are watching. So I think it's different than just, hey, everybody gets world records and then <laughs> the, the sport is more interesting because everybody gets a world record. It, it, it's it's more direct than that, right? The, the the benefit that provides is is different than than anything else, and I think it's we haven't really seen that type of tension in in track and field um, recently. You know th th that I can think of, um, right? I I guess it would be akin to you know your favorite sport, baseball, where they talked about fiddling with the extra innings rules or something like that, where it's like, well. Will this make this more interesting? But is it gonna is it gonna ruin the the sanctity of of the game? This just makes track and field so much more, I think, accessible on a lot of levels for not just people who are new to it. Which I don't know if there's many people who are like stumbling onto Joshua Chapter guy's <laughs> ten thousand record. If they are, that's pretty cool. But for fans, it, it just makes a better viewing experience because you're gonna you're gonna know what's going on throughout the entire the entire race. And I remember when we were watching the one hour record that would have been impossible to watch without the lights. Mm. How would you have possibly known what was going on without the lights? It, it, be, it made the That's best of a, it made the best of a really otherwise quite mundane race. It's, you know, it's, it's fun to, there's an aesthetic component to watching Mo Farah run and to watching Safan Hassan run. Cause you're like, wow, these are the, the best people in the world doing their thing. And this is cool to watch, but you would have had no idea if they're a hundred no, meters ahead or a hundred meters behind. Yeah. No, so no I think, I, you need I think that's places. why. No. Yeah. And that's, that's why I like the lights. That's why I like the lights. I think it's a fair, it's a fair trade-off here. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. I, I, I agree. And, um, it just will be interesting if, if, if it's kind of more, if we'll, we'll track kind of take a measured approach or will they be fully implemented at, at the top levels is, you know, you, the, the lights are just going to become another feature, like a, like a bell lap or something, you know, like, a, mm -hmm. a, is it just like, obviously we're not going to see it at the college or the high school level anytime soon, but, or ever, but you know, at the professional level at the, the highest, you know, is every diamond league meet going to have it is, is something that I'm curious to see. It can't be a cheap thing to implement, but uh the way they've rolled it out it really seems like it's gunning for a higher presence in the sport so i you know i'm excited to see it's only going to get more controversial but maybe if it supplants shoes as mm -hmm. the most controversial technological development i can deal with that i can blame lights over shoes more i mean i that's fine i'd rather yell about lights than shoes i think mm -hmm. you I just think. seem stupid i i think it right it it it, it, it does I, I can see how people would think i'm contradicting myself but it's fine if it helps, whatever. If it helps you a little bit run, run faster, that, that, that's well, fine. You know, we had an emailer to the other podcast I do when we were discussing this and he said, well, okay, what if you put, if the goal is just to keep them on pace, correct? Like that's the goal. You're giving them real time information about where they're at. You yeah. know, what about if Joshua Chepta guy's coach was 
spaced out on the, he had coaches or people helping him every 200 meters yell out splits. And you're like, okay, well, that's, that's pretty common. Okay. Well, what about every 100 meters? They're yelling out splits. Okay. Well, what about every 50 meters? They're yelling out splits. Okay. What about every 25 meters? They have a whole crew of people who are telling him right where he needs to be. I mean, in essence, that's accomplishing the same thing. I mean, he's not, he's not chasing a light around the track, but they're, they're giving him, you know, What's that? I lost your audio. Go ahead. I said, what about every meter now? Because that's where we're at. It's every (laughs) meter, right? (laughs) But, but my, my, the emailer's point, and, and I guess what I would say too is, is, um, they're still having to run the race. They're still having to, to complete the race. And I just think on the back end, um, of a 5,000, or a, a 10,000, those last couple laps, it may look like the light's pulling you along, but I think you could, we've, we've seen plenty of people fall off of rabbits late into p- pacing efforts to know how hard it, how hard it is. And I don't know. I like it. I like it. Yeah. I'm for it. That's, that's my take. I'm sticking with it. I don't think I can keep up with 1235 pace with, with the lights, with or without the lights. I'm, I'm pretty yeah. confident. Um, yeah, but you know, well, the main maybe. thing it does, the main function is it gets. I think it gets the rabbit onto a correct pace, so you have less mm. rabbit issues. So you'll have fewer wasted efforts where somebody goes out in, you know, fifty one and a fifteen hundred because <laughs> they'll just be saying, "Look at the lights! Look at the lights!" And yeah, I guess you could get mad at that and say, "Well, that's unfair." But then you're probably just mad at there being rabbits, which is a fine opinion to have. I don't necessarily. Think no, rabbits are the best in a lot of races, but that's right. That's where that's where that that would end up. It's, it's like I want there to be pacing, but only if the pacing can be bad sometimes, because someone else's <laughs> world record. Imperfect. Well, right. Well, you're basically saying someone else's world record should be impacted by a vastly inferior runner's ability to set a correct pace and run a portion of the distance. That's pretty obtuse yeah. when you think about what it's measuring. Yeah, I guess the analogy, the analogy then, if, you, if it's, you're making it to baseball, would be better applied as the the human umpires or the or the robot umpires, because if you put robot umpires, it kind of takes away part of the thrill of like we're reliant on a human opinion and games can be swayed by in, the imperfections of a human. Whereas it's not. I mean, I'm sure some some manager maniacs will argue with the the ability of, of a robot umpire, but it, it does take away, I understand it takes away some of the, you know, the reliance on a pacer being good. And because we've seen way too many pacers be like you mentioned, just kind of horrific and comical, comically bad. And now, now it takes that and has a perfect pacer from meter one to meter, whatever the, the distance is. Um, yeah. Which is still, I, I mean, it's, I don't know. We'll see if it leads to breaking world records all over the place. I, I still mm-hmm. think it'll be difficult to run under world records, but I don't think Donovan Brazier is being held back from 140 simply because of lights. I think it's because it's really hard to run 140. But um, last, we last point on this: last, last, which would you say is more legit? guy sets a 5,000 meter world record, or Gaudet sets a 5,000 meter world record with no pacing but lights the entire way? Or they have a human pacer and no lights through three thousand. What's more legit in your opinion? Not more legit. Which would you think is a better achievement? 
probably the the human pacer through 3000 um yeah and then he does the last 2k by himself i mean mm -hmm. that's i know he yeah. did that with with the lights in monaco but um the, i don't know but maybe that's that's just me just going being like a little old school i i mm -hmm. it's as i sit right here at the end of 2020 whereas that's been the previous model for generations that seems more legitimate but also you have do have to you know you don't have to consider it's it's tough to run up front by all by yourself mm -hmm. even with the lights for the entire yeah. 5000 so i still think we would be i would lean towards the old model but i could hear the argument otherwise all right next up next person who joined us this year on the show russell dinkins lincoln russell dinkins yeah, I think without him, you know, there could be there definitely you have an argument that uh, not that he's single handedly saving programs, but he's done more than any other person for men's track and field programs in the United States, making an argument that this is a damage to diversity on the campus and is harming athletic and academic opportunities for uh, minorities in this country. And he's gone, you know, he's put his money where his mouth is right uh, by going on campus, by by being influential in schools. He had no previous involvement, be it you know, uh, Brown, be it Minnesota, uh, now Clemson. Uh, you know, he was influential, I think, in the William and Mary case. Um, I, there, there are other ones that he's been involved in. You know, nobody, he's not getting, uh, ostensibly he's not getting paid for this, right? I mean, there's no money to go around to save track and field programs. So just uh, out of the, the sheer, uh, you know, kindness of his heart and just having a passion for it, this guy has implanted himself and has been a leader in, in doing this. And I, I, you know, I certainly think is, you know, had some financial weight behind it that maybe other programs didn't, but I think without Russell Dinkins, we could for sure say that a couple programs would be completely obsolete if he, if he hadn't, you mm -hmm. know, if kind of become involved in the, in the F, the effort to rescue them. Yeah. And people should listen to the podcast that we did with him because he gives the story of, of how it all started and he gives his philosophy of how he's doing the work. And I think it was just remarkable because I think a lot of people assumed once those programs were cut in the wake of COVID, all these other monumental changes that were going on in the world, that would be something that just would happen and we'd have to deal with it and we'd move on because there was this massive institution and this institution had made this decision and we all needed to live with it. And then we saw them reverse course and not in every single case, Clemson hasn't reversed course yet, but my goodness, they've been successful and a lot of other programs have been successful uh, turning the tide here and, and saving some of these programs. So again, I just can't encourage people enough to listen to that pod. If you haven't, it was incredibly interesting and you're right. The work he's doing has just been, just been remarkable. If you go back to the beginning of the year, we didn't, we didn't see the programs closing. We didn't see the, the the pandemic coming, right? All these things were boom, 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 one after the other after the other. And the quickness with which Dinkins you know, mobilized people was, was remarkable. I also want to highlight in light of that too, the William and Mary women's team, Lincoln, for what they did this year. I'm sorry, you broke up. You're talking about William and Mary? The women's team for William and Mary, yeah. In yeah, particular. yeah, yeah, certainly. I mean, you know, basically said they're not going to, not basically, they did for the most part, a lot of teams signed a petition saying we're not going to compete, wear the jersey until the men's team is is brought back. That had a big 
big sway, I think, on this on the decision. I know Dinkins was, was involved in there. You may have said that. Uh, mm-hmm. a- absolutely. You know, I, and I think they've they've set a they've set a model for what can be possibly done in the future when this inevitably happens again. Is the women's team can have an involvement because, you know, I think it would be easy not not saying they deserve to, to feel guilty, but easy to feel guilty that you know the that one gender has survived on the track team um, while by being involved there. Um, so they have certainly made a template for what you can do not saying it's automatically going to work but by saying hey we're not going to compete until you bring the men's team back that's a powerful that's a powerful statement uh it's you know a great sign of loyalty and um cool to see i mean it it seems obvious now like oh that's a good thing but that you know they were unique in doing that at least to my knowledge Mm -hmm. uh, by saying we're not going to run and it, it definitely changed changed some minds and put the pressure which is what you want to do in this situation, which maybe Clemson hasn't yet been able to do simply because Clemson is like, whatever we can, we can kind of push you to the side because we've got football and bigger sports. Well, William and Mary mm-hmm. doesn't have that. So they maybe wanted to avoid the the publicity of their female, of their, their women's team coming out and saying, we're not going to compete. And if you have smaller mid-major programs do this in the future, maybe this is what other teams follow. Mm-hmm. Well, I remember going back to, the summer when we talked to the the head coach of uh, Mississippi State about the efforts to change the flag and just the in for the state of Mississippi and just the athlete activism on campus and a lot of athletes feeling like they were empowered for the first time and then on top of that okay now my program's been cut of course you're going to see a response after that and people taking their newly found voice or their newfound empowerment and, and putting it to putting it to work. So yeah, I was very impressed by the William and Mary women there. Um, another, another person or group of people here I wanted to touch on um, happened. This news happened about two weeks ago. Um, got a fair bit of traction, but the U S Olympic committee, um, you know, basically said to the IOC, you know, end the, the, the prohibition on, on protests, metal stand protests, which was a huge, huge decision. Um, so I just wanted to highlight a couple people as it relates to track, and there, there probably are others involved in here too, but I know Mushami Robinson, who was a uh, 2004 Olympian for the United States, was, was leading up the charge. And of course, you can't talk about this issue, Lincoln, without talking about Gwen Berry, who put it in the forefront at the Pan Am Games in 2019 when she raised her fist on the medal stand during the the national anthem after her, her her hammer throw performance in in the Pan Am Games, so she brought that you know issue front and center again. Remember, they said she could lose her medal. I remember talking to her afterwards, and they were going through all the the bureaucratic uh, runaround with her. But it, it looks like there could be obviously some some change here. Don't know how it's going to play out as it relates to the 2021 Olympics, but certainly a, a, a massive story that obviously goes back decades and decades. This was not just a 2020 story. And even when I mentioned Gwen Berry, you know, the Pan Am Games was 2019, but the decision that the USOC made was this year. So um, mm-hmm. they were obviously incredibly influential in that. Yeah, it's, it's almost a shame that these athletes, former athlete in Robinson and then Gwen Berry, they had to continue to advocate for this because the year we've had with peaceful protests 
seen how important they are culturally in making change in in a democracy um, when things are threatened, how how important uh, the voices of the people are and, and how important it is for the powers that be to listen to them. It's a shame that they even had to go to this step to make it happen, but it's very, very thankful that they did. Uh, the, the right to kneel or do any type of protest, it should be a non-starter, non-question um, for, for athletes, you know, not just in the U.S., but, but in other countries. Um, you know, we saw the, the, uh, the Ethiopian athlete at the 2016 marathon. This wasn't, on the, this wasn't on the podium, but he did it across the finish line, did a protest. And that's going to be a lasting image, image for, you know, in, in Olympic history. Um, the idea that, you know, we had, I mean, I don't want to sound too sanctimonious here, but, the, you know, we had, uh, to, you know, Tommy Smith and John Carlos protesting all the way in Mexico, all the way back in Mexico City. And then we're still talking mm -hmm. about, should this be allowed at the Olympics and, you know, it yeah. takes the, the USC making a statement. It's not the IOC yet, but, uh, it's, it's crazy, but yeah. you have to have still yet to this day, you still have to have individuals willing to put their neck out there like Barry, like Robinson to say, no, this is very important to a very mm -hmm. important part of being a human being. And just because we're athletes and we're, you know, we're trying to keep politics out of that, you, you can't, you know, for generations, we've so shown that politics are involved. Human rights, if human rights are politics, if you want to define it as such, then then we're going to bring politics into the into the Olympic into the Olympic Games and into you know into other other realms of Olympic sports. Um, and it's a shame that the IOC is still trying to hold on to this, but a big step with what's happened with the USOC. Well, and a lot of what they did was highlight the hypocrisy. You know, Tommy Smith and John Carlos were not greeted as heroes when they did it in 68. No. And then now they're receiving th these awards and people are saying, well, wait, wait, how can you champion what they did in 1968, but say what we're doing right now in 2020 is, is too far, right? That's, yeah. that, that's hypocritical. You know, we're, we're yeah. trying to, to carry the torch there for them. So you're right. Something to watch for in, in 2021, see how the IOC responds. Let's keep it moving here. This one, I picked a group. I picked a group of people here. Uh, the women of the Bowerman Track Club, Lincoln, mm. as influential in 2020. Now, you could expand this into, um, you know, the people who put the meats on for them because they kept some some track going in in the summer when it, like nothing was going on. You also could extend it to the big friendly crew out there, I think it was the Portland Portland track crew and, and Pete Julian and everybody out there who was putting on meets mm -hmm. as well too. But I, I zeroed in on the women of the Batman track club because they had, they had just spectacular performances on top of that. And even before the pandemic, going back to indoors, they were constantly entertaining by how fast Houlihan, Schweizer, Frerichs, et cetera, uh, Quigley, were all running. It was it was remarkably fun to watch them throughout the summer, and and I guess going I mean, back they, to yeah. to the winter. <clears throat> yeah, I was just. I mean, they make up a big chunk of why we're excited about women's distance running in the U.S., particularly obviously on the track. I mean, when you talk about Hulahan, Swizer, Quigley, Frerichs, the list goes on and on and on, and they can continue to develop new new talent. But yeah, they're them putting on meets, kind of uh, the the doldrums of the summer. 
when it had been a few months into the pandemic and track and field was pretty, pretty well dead at that point, they kind of elevated it on the U.S., showed it was possible um, and ran really fast in the, in the middle of, of doing so. So certainly in the U.S. particularly, they were a huge, huge part of this, of the 2020 track season. And, um, you know, they, they hold the, the most power as a women's team. You know, you get on that, you get in that, everyone wants to be a part, I think, of Bowerman Track Club. I think you'd be lying to yourself if you said you wouldn't. You know, uh, we tend to look at things and this was before 2020, but we always it's always surprising when the next great NCAA athlete, it's like, well, surely they're going to go to Bowerman. You know, I mean, eventually Mm -hmm. they'll be saturated, but it's kind of surprising now when like a Taylor Warner reports that she's not going to be going there or, you know, Danny Jones. Obviously, she's already got Mm -hmm. a group. Uh, It's kind of like because we're just year in and year out. It's just Bowerman continues to accumulate superstar and just continue to build their influence. Mm-hmm. All right, let's go lightning around here for the last few. Uh, I put Perez Jepchircher, who had a dominant season on the roads, and she did it all, Lincoln, while wearing Adidas. Yeah, it's been a good Hard year for do. Adidas wearing athletes. Uh, <laughs> did it, you know, uh, there's been just a ton of good performances in these new Adi Zero or whatever they're called shoes, the, the, the counter. The, the, the counter to the, the Alpha Flies by Adidas. Uh, Jeff Cheer Cheer, brilliant in the half, and then ran a, a, a equally brilliant 217 in, in Valencia. Great year for her. And we also need to throw in there Kibiwat Candy, who mm-hmm. was part of the, the world record brigade in Valencia. And right. he was wearing Adidas, too. I, I guess it just... We're at a point now where, and you and I talked about this when we recapped the marathon project, where you can be mad at the shoes writ large, but you can't be mad at one brand of shoes. And I don't think you can say that one person's shoes are giving them an advantage over another person's shoes. We've seen enough evidence, I think, at this point, and it was in in some part due to to these performances in in Valencia by people like Candy and and Jip Chirichir. So I just thank them. I thank them because I didn't want to argue about that all next year too. I want to argue about oh, lights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that more, more on lights. I'd be happy with that. Um, okay. I put Kipchoge on here. Do you think he deserved to be influential person? I, I was in surprised to see him. Um, he ran once and he got eighth. What can you tell me your rationale? He lost. He's the greatest That's, marathoner guess, of all influential, time. Influential, yeah. And I think. If he had if he had won, I don't think he would have probably been on here. But the fact that he lost opened up the door for him to potentially lose again. I just think anytime mm-hmm. you see somebody who is is unbeatable and has a run as long as as he does, and it, and it comes to an end, you got to take note. I guess if depending on how you define influential, I think it made. You can tell me if you disagree with this. I think it made his next marathon appearance infinitely more interesting, the fact that he mm. lost. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I agree. I I mean, I don't know, infinitely more interesting. So I, I just said I agree. Now I'm backtracking. <laughs> Infinite's I, a long time. More, I'll, I'll, I'll revise. More, more interesting. Yeah. It made it interesting. I think it was going to be interesting in any case. It's almost like the race was so bad for him in the second half that it was kind of, like I said, like a, a throwaway. Like it's not that he yeah. slipped and like he he got caught you know he got caught sleeping on the job and and got tracked down walked down in the last half mile 
It's just like, mm-hmm. I wholly believe that he, whatever, for whatever reason, we can go back and litigate this, I guess, but the ear blockage and for whatever reason, he was disoriented. Mm. And, and. Maybe I should have put his know. ear was the most influential. Yeah, I think so. The most influential ear. He definitely wins most influential ear of the year. Uh, so I expect him to be regular old Kipchoge when we come back, but there's still, you know, if there's 97% of me is sure he'll still be the same athlete. There's the little 3% tinge, I guess, that says, I don't know, maybe, maybe we've started. It's, this is the beginning of the end. So that's influential and that will, will change our that change an event entirely um, yeah. if, if that's the case. So certainly well, that little possibility that he's slipping, it was a huge moment in 2020. It's cliche to say, oh, it's so-and-so versus the clock. And they don't have any competition in this race. But that was the case for Kipchoge for the last mm-hmm. couple of years. So much so right. that they had to create almost an entirely separate event for him to compete in because he ran out of competition with his contemporaries and had to compete not just against the past because he had beaten everybody from the past, but he was, in essence, waging a battle with the future by being the first person to break two hours and try to put that mark out as far as he could. And then... This went on and on and on. So it got to the point where he was in the race and it's not enough for him to win. And it wasn't particularly interesting if he won in 203 or 204. Now he kept running these spectacular times. So that part was interesting. But now I think the pendulum has swung back the other way because he lost. Just seeing him win is like, okay, now he's back on top. Doesn't matter if he wins by five seconds. Doesn't matter if he wins by five minutes. Him just getting back to the top, even if it's in a slower time, is is noteworthy and i think almost Mm -hmm. we were we we had gone so far in the other direction of him needing to be otherworldly so much that that it got it it became commonplace when it shouldn't have and now we're back into the normal spot which is going to be fun jenny you think he lost on purpose is that basically what you're saying no i'm just kidding i think Uh, he (laughs) didn't want to didn't want the expectations anymore on him i think i think it makes it because look if we look at this objectively, was he going to keep raising the bar, do you think? I think we were getting to the end of what he could do with all the advances. Right, exactly. So at that point, all it's it's almost like Bolt. Okay, the only thing he can do is run faster than 958 or 1990. Well, you don't leave yourself anywhere to go because just winning isn't enough. But then if you if you lose, or if we go back to 2015 when Justin Gatlin was outperforming him throughout the year, then he goes and wins – takes your breath away again. Oh, he got it, he got it yeah. back. And I think that's where we're at with 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 Kipchoge. 2021 Kipchoge is going to be I guess 2015 Bolt or 2016 Bolt oh, around that era like where the times aren't going to be the same, but just him getting the win and ex- adding another gold medal, adding another major victory to his resume just just builds yeah. his legacy in a way um that's without equal. Mm-hmm. And perhaps just like Bolt, he needs to go back to Berlin to get right. That seems to be the recipe mm. for Bolt to, uh, to be uh, on top of their game. <laughs> uh, okay. Th- I'll just throw these last three athletes out there. Mondo, Ryan Krauser, Bridget Koskai. Yeah, no go. arguments there. Uh, Ryan Krauser throws 22-5 every competition, basically, which is just absurd. Mondo Duplantis broke the world record. You could say three times, although World Athletics will say twice. Now every expectation is that he's always going to jump over 6'10", which is crazy. Uh, other people don't do that. I don't think 
you know, anyone else is even capable of doing that right now. And it's just, a, it's kind of like he's, let, he's entered the Kipchoge realm. That is, that is, I guess you could maybe say Krauser, but more, more, more into Plantis that, you know, the only way he's losing is if he just has a horrific day uh, is what it seems mm-hmm. like. And that, and that was a totally different uh, spot for him to reach, I guess, and a higher bar for him to reach literally and metaphorically uh, than, than 2019. And then Kazguy continues to be the best marathoner by, I think, pretty solid margin. So very mm-hmm. influential. Um, and yeah, just that, that's that's the case. Uh, she's just, she's still the best. And I know she suffered a half marathon defeat and got injured a little bit, but the marathon, she owns it still. Mm-hmm. All right, that's the list. I'm sure there were some omissions, although I tried hard not to make any big ones in there. Is there anybody else you'd want to add last minute here? 11th hour. Um, I mean, it just wasn't a ton. Whoever maybe owned and operated the AP ranch meets pretty influential, yes. but uh, yes, I was yeah. waiting for the AP ranch reference. There it was. Yeah. Um, that was, that was a big deal that, that, that influenced a lot of people's whoever opened the track. Yeah. Whoever had the keys. Yeah. <laughs> the janitorial staff. Um, yeah. So, I mean, no, that's, that's a joke clearly. Um, I can't think of anyone else in, 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 in sincerity. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that'll do it for, for 2020. Thanks everybody for tuning in to the show. Have a happy new year. Lincoln, any last words? <laughs> that'll, that'll do it. Have, let's have a better 2021. <laughs> Thanks, Solon, for producing. As Lincoln said, let's have a better 2021. We'll talk to you guys next time.